0: Ephesians chapter 2, September 1938, Neville Chamberlain came back from a meeting in Germany and he said, peace in our time, peace with honor. That was 1938, 1936, Hitler had annexed the Rhineland. What that means is he invaded it, that was the, the area surrounding the Rhine River and because They were Germanic ancestral homes. He just decided it ought to be part of Germany again. And he went in and took it. And so the world was afraid that war was coming. A group of people, including Neville Chamberlain, went to meet with Hitler. And, of course, Hitler, with his charismatic personality and many lies, persuaded Neville Chamberlain, Sir Neville Chamberlain and others, that peace was here. But then, of course, in 1939, he invaded Poland and The world was plunged into war. He had said that there would be peace in our time, but obviously his mission had failed. Someone has said that between 1500 B.C. and 850 A.D., there were 7,500 eternal covenants of peace made. And none of them lasted longer than two years. You see, when man tries to bring peace, he can't do it. There is only one Prince of Peace, and that is the Savior, Jesus Christ. Read with me, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that, so even the faith, is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If there was a way for me to work hard enough work hard enough to be good enough to go to heaven, then I could boast. I would have a part in my salvation. But it's only by faith Jesus Christ did it all. Look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So when a person has come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, by faith that God has ordained that everyone that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior should then walk in good works. You can't just do whatever you want to do after you get saved. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those works will never save you. How many of you have ever heard someone say, you Baptists believe once saved, always saved, that you can get saved and do whatever you want? How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? Well, people ask me that question. Can a person get saved and then do whatever they want still go to heaven? Well, yeah, they can, but they're going to be awfully miserable until they go because God is going to chasten them as a son. And God's plan is for people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith because your works can't save you. That's what the Bible says, amen? It's just what it says. But then after you're born again, God ordained before the foundation of the world that you are to walk in good works, that you're supposed to be a light to the world. Then look what the Bible says, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision, in the flesh made by hands. And we're we're going to explain this passage, and we'll just read on for now. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us to understand your word And Father, this morning, on the day after the day that we celebrate your birth, Lord, help us to understand the hope of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. A quick overview of this passage. We understand that salvation is by grace, and then we are His workmanship created in Christ. Christ is making us into people that represent Him. Aren't you glad you don't have to do it yourself? How many of you have really tried to be spiritual and failed? Anyone in here? We call that the cult of trying harder. It doesn't work. Jesus Christ is the one who changes you from within as the Word of God takes over your heart and mind. There are a lot of churches where if you don't dress a certain way or behave a certain way or live a certain kind of life, then you're not a Christian. Well, I'll tell you what. Then nobody in this room could ever be a Christian. Because it doesn't matter how hard you try, it can never happen. Some of you will remember, I remember the uh, orange tree. Think about an orange trying really hard to be an apple. Can't you just picture that? That orange sitting there saying, I'm an apple, I'm an apple, I'm an apple, I'm an apple. Is it ever going to be an apple? No. Why? Because it's an orange. The Bible says very uh, a very poignant question, can the leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian change his skin. No, no. There are things that are a part of you and there is no way that you and I will ever change who we are and become good. And even believers fall into the trap of trying harder. Now, I want to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you here don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you here you're born again, you know, for sure that Jesus Christ is your savior. You know for sure that heaven is your home. And yet there's something in your life that you just can't seem to get over, no matter how hard you try. Well, cheer up. You're a lot worse than you think you are. You see, in me that is in my flesh, there abideth no good thing. So if anything good is going to come out of me, it must be through the workmanship of Christ because all of my righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So if there's going to be something good that comes from me, it's got to come from the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ in me. Oh, we need that so badly. So then, look at verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. This book is written to the Ephesians. Ephesus was a Gentile city. It was founded by uh, the descend by by the ancestors of Alexander the Great. These are Greek people, so they're Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles were estranged from God and God's people. That's what this is saying. Why were they estranged? Because they were without Christ. So when the Bible is talking about the enmity between the two, that's the enmity. That's war. That's conflict between Jews and gentiles but when jesus christ died on the cross he took away that distinction of jew and gentile now anyone can come to know jesus christ as their personal savior jews or greeks it doesn't matter jew or gentile it doesn't matter what your race is you can come to jesus christ and we're equal and accepted in him isn't that wonderful And that's why we're all equal and accepted here at Grace Baptist Church. If you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to be baptized and to become a member of Grace Baptist Church, it doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter. We are all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? The Bible says He's made of us all one blood. We're all one. What a blessing that is. That's the context here. But there is one word that the Apostle uses to describe the Gentiles. And this will understand why Jesus Christ... This helps us understand why Jesus Christ came. Verse 12. That at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, we talk about illegal aliens. Now, that's not a politically correct term anymore. But that has always been an understanding that you are either a citizen or you're an alien in that country. So if I go and visit England, I'm an alien in that country. They're not going to let me vote. They really don't care what my opinion is, especially as an American, right? If you've been over there, you understand. The, the idea is I'm not a citizen. I'm an alien. Well, the reason that we were without hope as Gentiles, is because there was a specific nation that God had chosen to smile upon, and that was the nation of Israel. Everyone else, unless they were proselytized, they became a citizen of Israel, they were without hope in the world. That's what the text is saying. So let's look at some aspects that they were without. Number one, they were without Christ. They were without Christ. These people in Ephesus, they worshiped the goddess, the goddess Diana. This goddess, and it's amazing that the Apostle Paul had been preaching to the Ephesians for two years before they actually got rid of their idols to Diana. Now, can you imagine bowing down before an idol and expecting it to do something for you? Can you imagine doing that? Well, that's what they did. And they were without God because the only way to have God is to know Jesus Christ. So they were... Without Christ, they knew nothing about Christ before Paul came and gave the gospel. Paul cites the Ephesians' Christless state as a definite tragedy. But then keep in mind that every unsaved person, Jew or Gentile, is outside Christ. And that means condemnation. See, without Christ means without salvation. One of the mistakes that we make is we see all the religious people in the world and on Christmas, you see all of these things, Christmas Eve, all of these shows on television, all of these religions from around the world, and we see people who are practicing religion. And sometimes in the back of our mind, we think, maybe they're okay. Maybe they're okay. But if they are not, according to John fourteen six, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If in any of these religious systems people are trying to approach God other than through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are without Christ. That means they are without salvation. That means they're not going to heaven. That's why we have been sent into the world. Now, let's make something very clear. Are we any better than them? No, we are sinners just like they are. We deserve hell just like they do. Every individual that has ever walked on this earth other than the Lord Jesus Christ deserved to go to hell. That's why that eternal life is a gift. It's grace. It's wonderful. Some people say, well, how could a loving God do that? No, you're asking the wrong question. The right question is why would a just God save any of us? See, we have way too high of an opinion of mankind. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die on the cross. And you see, these, they were without Christ. That means they were without salvation. That's why Jesus needed to come. Not only were they without salvation, they were without citizenship. They were without citizenship. God called the Jews and built them into a nation. He gave them His laws and His blessings. There's a passage that says salvation is of the Jews. A Gentile could enter into the nation as a proselyte, but he was not born into that very special nation. Israel was God's nation in that way, and that was not true of any Gentile nation. But look at what God did for us. Look at First Peter. Keep your place in Ephesians. Keep your place in Ephesians. Go to First Peter chapter 2. You all doing all right this morning? 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. This is written to believers now. Now as believers, everyone that is in Christ is a holy nation. You don't have to be a part of Israel. You don't have to replace Israel. Jesus Christ is going to come back and establish His kingdom, and He is going to have His nation of Israel again. But right now, there's neither Jew nor Greek. Everyone who is in Jesus Christ is a holy nation and a royal priesthood. You know, Shauna is back with us. She had gone to Texas to visit her family. And she often will say to me that that she is a, a Michigan fan. And my response is, wait, I'm not your priest. You don't have to confess your sin to me. (laughs) Bob Curlis is kind of in the same boat. These evil Michigan fans. But here's the idea. We're all priests if we're born again. We're a royal priesthood. I don't have to go to a priest and confess my sin. I can go straight to God through the high priest, Jesus Christ. We're a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people. What does that mean? We're supposed to be weird? Well, we are going to seem weird to the world because we have a different agenda. We are aliens in this world. We're pilgrims in this world. We're waiting for the next world, and we're living in this world as salt and light, bringing the gospel to this world. We're set apart for a peculiar purpose and that is to shine the light of Jesus Christ in this world. So before Jesus Christ, they were without Christ, without citizenship. Not only that, they were without covenants. They were without covenants. In Genesis 12, we're not going to take the time to turn there, but you remember that what God did was He called Abram, and He said, get out of your country into a land that I'll show you, and I will make of thee a great nation. And in thee shall all the nations of the world be blessed. So all of us were blessed through that Abrahamic covenant, but that Abrahamic covenant was made specifically with Abraham and the establishment of the Jewish race. God never made a covenant. He never made a covenant with any nation other than Israel. They were without God, without the covenants. Gentiles were aliens and strangers, and the Jews never let them forget it. Many of the Pharisees would pray daily, Oh God, I give thanks that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. Can you imagine? You know, that's what people think of us many times. People think that because we know Jesus Christ and we claim our eternal life, they say, you just think you're better than us. Man, we're not. I'm just one beggar showing another beggar where I found bread. We're not better. We don't want that attitude of the Pharisees. I thank God that I'm not like these lowly publicans. You didn't think I could talk like that, did you? That's it. I thank God. God hates that. He hates it. See, we're not supposed to go out into the world as if we're superior. We're supposed to go out into the world as people... Who are needy of the power of the Holy Ghost, taking that light to others that we love who need Him desperately. But they were without Christ. They were without citizenship. They were without covenants. And as a result, they were without hope. They were without hope. Historians tell us that when Jesus Christ came, the world was in a state of hopelessness. And we had looked a few weeks ago at the philosophies of the world, and the earliest philosophers were some 400 years before Christ. By the time Christ was born, the world had seen that that Greek, that Hellenistic system had failed Rome had conquered it. The power of the sword was stronger than the power of the pen. These ideas, these philosophies, even when Paul went to Mars Hill, he went to Athens, and he saw all of their gods and all of their devotions. It was said of Athens that it was easier to run into a god than a man. And at that time, they'd seen the emptiness of it. Remember what Paul said. These Greeks, they were so enamored with gods, and they were trying to find one to meet their needs. They even had one that was called the unknown God in case they had missed one. And I like what Paul said. I came across an inscription that said, the unknown God, Him declare I unto you, because they didn't know the one true God. And Paul introduced them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were without hope. Their philosophies had failed. Their political systems had failed. Their economic systems had failed. They were without hope. Religions were powerless to help men face either life or death. People longed to pierce the veil and get some message of hope from the other side, but there was no hope. But you know what my message to you today is? The message of Christmas is we have hope. Hope has come. Better hopes. Hebrews 7, 9 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. By the which we draw nigh unto God. See, the law couldn't give us hope because when we try to keep the law, we can't. The Bible says that that law is a schoolmaster to teach us our own weakness. What does that mean? People that think they're good. How many of you ever met somebody that thought they were good? (laughs) Me too. Well, because they think they're good because they've never killed anybody, they pay their taxes. They try to be kind to people and try to be nice to people. They try to keep the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, as opposed to do unto others before they do unto you. You know that's... And you know that's the way you are at the buffet. You want to beat the next person in there, right? Yeah. Now, can I testify for a minute? Man, buffets freak me out. I'm always afraid somebody, you know, with some communicable disease has just sneezed in the food before I got there. So now I've destroyed your lunch. That's good. We can preach a little bit longer here. But here here it is. Hope. Hope only comes in Jesus Christ. The law shows us. The Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus Christ explained that to us. Says, but he's, the, the, He says, Moses says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. So what Jesus Christ did was he took that law and he took it to the next level to say, it's not only your outward, but it's your inward. It's what's going on inside. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. But if a man hates his brother, he's already committed murder in his heart. And he brought it to the next level. And so the law teaches us that we're without hope. But Jesus Christ came. And that brought us hope because by Jesus Christ, Hebrews chapter 7 says we can draw nigh to God. Do you know that God loves you? He doesn't hate you. He wants to be near you. That's why Jesus Christ came to bring us hope of eternal life. Then the Bible says in Titus 1 verse 2, we have eternal hope in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. How I many of you are glad that God can't lie? Amen. Remember the three things God can't do? Number one, He can't lie. Number two, He can't learn. Amen. That means He can never be disappointed in you. See, when I'm disappointed, that means that the only time I'm disappointed is when I expected something more. God can't be disappointed because He knows exactly who you are. And He loves you with limitless love anyway. So the third thing He can't do is He can't lose. If you're His, you can't be lost. In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised us before the world began. Then scriptural hope. Scriptural hope. Romans 15, 4 says, "...for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures..." might have hope. You know many times what you need to do when you're despondent? Go to the Word of God. Get your hope. This is infallible, the Word of God. Scriptural hope. Then lively hope. First Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again, born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Then I like this one. We have a sure and steadfast hope. Listen to what it says. The Bible says in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered. Even Jesus, made an high priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. What's the order of Melchizedek? You know, there are different orders of the priesthood. The Aaronic priesthood. That's the priesthood of Aaron that was given in the book of Leviticus. That's not the kind of priest Jesus is. Jesus comes from a priesthood that was before that. Remember Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace. So Melchizedek is the only king and priest representing Jesus Christ. That's the king that he is. And do you know what he made us? A royal priesthood. You and I are now priests and kings because we are in Jesus Christ with Jesus as our high priest who was the forerunner. He went through that veil into the presence of God to make a sacrifice for us so that now you and I can have entrance. That's our hope. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope that came. So they were without Christ. They were without citizenship, without covenants, without hope. And they were without God. You know, the heathen, isn't that a great word? The heathen have gods aplenty. There's plenty of gods. Uh, I was in Rome and I went to the Pantheon. The Pantheon was built to worship all the gods. So there'd be no discrimination. Worship all the gods. But they were without the one true God. Someone in that day had said, It's easier to find a God than a man in Athens, as we said before. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8, 5 said, There be gods many and lords many. But the pagan, no matter how religious or moral he might have been, did not know the true God. We're not going to take the time to go there, but maybe this afternoon if you get Psalm 115 and read it, you'll see the contrast between the one true God and all the other gods in the world. The other gods, they don't talk back to you. Dumb idols is what the Bible calls them. Dumb idols. Idols. In other words, they don't speak, but they're really dumb to worship too. Dumb idols as opposed to the one true God who spoke and who came. The hope of Christmas. The spiritual plight of the Gentiles was caused not by God, but by their own willful sin. You see, one of the things that that is wrong with our understanding of the judgment of God is we think that it is God that has caused the punishment. No. No. It's man's rejection of God that causes the punishment. We've said it before, Heaven and hell are corresponding opposites. Heaven is wonderful because God is there, and we get to see and be in the presence of God with no sin. Maybe you think that's going to be wonderful. Oh man, y'all ever get tired of the wickedness and filth that's around you in the world. You ever get tired of the wickedness and filth that's in you? Yeah, me too. Can you imagine being with the one? that is completely pure in a state of complete purity, that's heaven. Hell is just the opposite. The reason hell is so awful is because everything that is good, the Bible says, comes from God. So God is in heaven and we're with him. Hell is the eternal absence of God. And that means it's the absence of anything that's good. Can you imagine how awful that is? Complete and utter punishment, suffering for eternity. Do you know what the worst part of hell is? No hope of it ever ending. If it was a million years, you would know that there's hope of an end. But there is no hope. Apart from God. See, how could God do that? Do you know what hell is? Hell is God giving people exactly what they've asked for. When people reject the one true God, do you know what hell is? It's God saying, okay. Okay. You don't want me? You can have an eternal existence without me. Do you know what grace is? God saying, you can have an eternal existence with me. What a difference. What a difference. Paul said, the Gentiles knew the true God, but deliberately deliberately refused to honor Him in Romans 1. 1876, there's a man named Julius Wellhausen. He was a German Bible scholar. And... He came up with what he called his documentary hypothesis. Basically, what he said was that there is no way that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Now, how many of you think Jesus was right when he said that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible? How many of you trust Jesus or Julius? I like orange Julius, but not Julius Wellhausen. Here's the deal. Wellhausen said that the Bible can't be true historically. And he said that man developed through this process from animism, worshiping animals. Then they progressed to polytheism, worshiping many gods. And then man advanced advanced to the idea of monotheism, where they would worship one god. And that's where the Levitical law came from. That's where Judaism came from. And so when they would write literature, they would date the literature in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, based on the kind of literature that it was. J-E-D-P was a designation that they would use. And they would say, well, this passage, it's too technical to have been written when Moses was walking the face of the earth. Now, how many of you think that's really dumb? But you've got to understand, the documentary hypothesis influenced every seminary in the world. Everyone in the world. And they predicted this evolutionary process of religion. That man would continue to get better and better. And the world would continue to get better and better. And then Jesus Christ would come and rule that world that was so good. How are we doing? It's a ridiculous idea. Man is not getting better and better. Because they are without Christ. They are without God. They are without citizenship of that holy nation. They are outside of that royal priesthood. They are not a peculiar people because they've not come to Jesus Christ by faith. And they are completely without hope in the world. You see, that's where obedience and belief in the Scriptures is so important because that's the only hope for us because it's given to us in the Word of God. Religious history is not a record of man starting with many gods and gradually discovering the one true God. Rather, it is the sad story of man knowing the truth about God and deliberately turning away from it. It's a story of devolution, not evolution. The first 11 chapters of Genesis give the story of the decline of the Gentiles. And from Genesis 12 on, the call of Abraham, it is the story of the Jews. God separated the Jews from the Gentiles that He might be able to save the Gentiles also because John 4.22 says salvation is of the Jews. But when Jesus Christ came, He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Jesus Christ lived that sinless life in obedience to the law and then He died on the cross to pay for our sin so that we can have hope. I hope that you're free today. I hope that you're not walking around with the weight of guilt about something that happened. If only I hadn't done this. If only I had said that. If only I had stepped in. Maybe I could have fixed that situation. If only, if only, if only. Do you know what that is? That's that orange saying, I'm an apple, I'm an apple, I'm an apple. How many of you think it's stupid for an orange to do that? Well, first of all, oranges don't talk. But listen... Us under that weight of guilt. It's really crazy. My dad always told this story. He told the same ones over and over and over. But when he was preaching, he, he told a story about this lady who was afraid to fly. And she was a rather heavy lady. She was just scared to death to fly. Finally, her kids, for Christmas, talked her into getting on a plane, flying across the country to come see him. When she got off the plane, they said, Mom, you see, your flight was okay. You made it. And she said, yeah, but I never did put all my weight down. <laughs> you picture just kind of flying like this. <laughs> I did. I stole it. It's so true, though. Now, can I ask you, did the plane actually carry all of her weight? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus Christ, when he saves you, he takes all of your sin. All of it. And it's so It is kind of funny, but it's sad that even though Jesus Christ is carrying it, we still carry it. None of you remember carrying something and your kid's helping you. (laughs) Right? Jesus Christ has borne all of our sin. He's borne in His body all of our iniquity. And that's why the Bible says, casting all your care on Him, for He careth for you. It's interesting how many times at Christmas time the guilt is worse than at any other time. So many suicides around this time. So much burden, so much weight. Christians, when they live like that, you know what they're saying? Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, but you can't carry this weight. You can't bear this burden. Do you know what Jesus Christ says? I already am. Just like the lady that didn't put all of her weight down, that's the way that Jesus Christ is looking at you when you're bearing that burden that He already did. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope of Christmas. Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you as much as He ever will? Can't love you more. Can't love you less. Because His love is perfect love. If you're born again. If you're lost. If you're not born again, He still loves you. You know the most famous verse in the Bible? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you too. But you're without hope. I hope that you'll find that hope today. If you're a believer, I hope you'll rest in that hope today. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.